This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We do thank you for joining our conversation today because we're right in the middle of a holiday mini-series we're calling A Persuasion Christmas. So each episode features conversation about a specific way that uh, pop culture is shaping our mindset and approach to Christmas celebrations. Last week's episode was called A Hallmark Christmas. And really, that's just our shorthand for the various ways that we try to focus on all that's merry and bright around Christmas and how we, we kind of focus in on all that's sweet and good in the world. And so um, that kicked off this conversation. And this week, we're going to take a little bit of a turn. And really, we want to explore different aspects of celebrations for Christmas. Because, Hannah, I I feel like every Christmas, my mindset is a little bit different. Do you experience that the longer you live? It is. You kind of expect to have a certain Christmas experience. Each season rolls around and you have memories and you have traditions. And so as you enter into them, I've found that I expect the emotions, certain set of emotions to come with them, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I start the Christmas preparation, then my Christmassy feelings will come. But Mm -hmm. I've also noticed that some years they just don't come. And my husband and I have been talking over the last few weeks as we've gotten ready. And he's just said over and over again, "Ah, I just don't feel in the Christmas spirit. I'm Mm -hmm. just not feeling the Christmas spirit. And it was interesting to hear him use that language because it kind of got my mind thinking, well, what do we mean by the Christmas spirit? I mean, like there's obviously a whole (laughs) lot of different emotions, but somehow we use this language the Christmas spirit as code for a certain set of emotions. Yes. And and I think the code or or the presumption there is that it looks a whole lot like what we talked about last week with the Hallmark Christmas. It it tends to be something that is warm and merry and bright and cozy. It's that's what I think about when people say, "Oh, I'm really in the Christmas spirit." Um that would be what you would want, right? We come into Christmas and we would love to have those emotional experiences where we do feel like things are all good and right in the world and within ourselves. And um, when we don't feel that, 
we do feel like, oh, the Christmas spirit isn't even here yet. Like, how are we going to go and get it or muster it up? Right. Like, I've only got like two or three weeks left. And I've got to do time. all this shopping and I've got to do all this decorating. <laughs> and I have to find the Christmas spirit somewhere along right. the way. Right. Where is it? <laughs> if I could go pick it up, that would be real helpful. I, I do feel this way right around mid-December. I feel that sense of like, oh, no. Christmas is almost here, and I certainly don't feel like I'm in that Christmas spirit, what I presume to be the Christmas spirit. And that that sense of lack in me, that happens every year. So really, I should just count on that to know it's the signal that, hey, Christmas is real close because you don't feel ready for it at all. Wait a minute. You, you never feel like you have the Christmas spirit? What I'd do you say- mean? What do I mean? Well, I would say rarely. It's more like I feel like I should have it the entire month of December. And then when there are only two weeks left, I realize, oh, no, I don't have it yet. And so then I feel like there's too much left to do and being busy makes me a little bit unsettled. And then that certainly doesn't feel like the Christmas spirit to me. And so, yeah, I do. I do feel like it takes really right up until Christmas when I feel like, whoo, kind of the busyness is done and I can sit and think and that's when it hits me. But I would love to have it the entire month of December. Well, on the other hand, Erin, you may be unintentionally celebrating Advent. Maybe so. In my spirit, I know what's going on, right? Yeah. Maybe you're just in that period of longing and waiting Mm -hmm. for Christmas to come. And you just had no idea you were such a spiritual person. Right. <laughs> well, let's just say that is the Lord working in me because I I love all that are um, what we're seeing in terms of Advent, Advent and um, all sorts of devotionals and, and there are podcasts for it. And I love that, but I don't tend to get those things done. And because to me, it feels like December is always a little bit nuts in terms of work and year end and Christmas prep. And so I don't tend to enter into those things as a practice. Last time we talked a little bit about the liturgy side of things, and I need that because I am so not a disciplined person. And so this sense of Advent, if it is coming upon me, then I will welcome it because otherwise I don't have a good way of acknowledging and entering it as a as a discipline. Well, you know, the other thing about this kind of lack of Christmas spirit, it, it may not be as much of a lack as we think. It may be that we're just tapping into a different set of truths and emotions that actually should accompany Christmas. So, you know, just follow me here as I rationalize my lack of Christmas spirit. It seems to me that there are plenty of, you know, like pop culture artifacts or different ways of expressing, I don't have the Christmas spirit or things are terrible or it's a blue Christmas or, or stuff like that. Like, so there's this impulse, even as we feel like we should have this festive, lighthearted, celebratory kind of experience of the holidays. There's also plenty of people saying, yeah, it's not really like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and I didn't really like I understood this, but I don't really tend toward uh, maybe that, that kind of darker, cynical side of holiday mm-hmm. prep because I just don't. Mm-hmm. But um, so I had another first for my Christmas season prep this year. I told you I saw my first Hallmark movie. Yes. Um, 
I saw Die Hard for the first time. You have entered into a new realm. Right. Don't you feel like you are now so enlightened? Because this is the movie that everyone talks about. Like, it's the the atypical Christmas film. Right. And so, people talk about it every year. I, I did feel like I had some catching up to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting because it's almost, what, 30, 31 years old yeah. now? Mm-hmm. And I would have been in elementary school when it came out. Plus, I lived in a very, uh, we were a very traditional conservative family. So I don't know if we would have watched Die Hard anyway, given it's, oh, slightly, um, how shall I say this? (laughs) Aggressive, kind of objectionable elements, you know, violence, lots of language, you know, it's rated R. So I don't even know, we might have watched it when it came on TV and was screened by all the broadcasting editors. Right. Right. But I don't know that it's a movie I would have naturally been exposed to even as I got older. So it was fascinating to watch it as an adult and to watch it in context of Christmas because there is this whole, is Die Hard a Christmas movie question? Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the movies that people point to where they have a thread of Christmas or a scene of Christmas. They're set in December. Something about it is echoing Christmas. And so then there, there are these lists, lots and lots of lists. Like, here are all of these Christmas-like movies that you should be watching. It's things like Gremlins or Edward Scissorhands. There are a whole bunch. We can we can um, provide a, a link to a list if you want um, to see some of those. But they all have these elements of Christmas, but they come at it from a rather quirky or dark space place, kind of like what you said. It's not what you would expect, but there are lots of things in it that get you thinking toward things of Christmas. Well, we may need to back up just briefly because if there are listeners who, like me, uh, have not seen Die Hard, it might be hard to understand what we're even talking about. Um, So what can you give everybody a short synopsis? I can sure try. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I have seen it and probably multiple times, but it's been a while. Uh, Bruce Willis, who we know as a a pretty accomplished actor, this was early on in his career, and he had hair at this point. So this is how early it was. Uh, Bruce Willis plays a, a policeman, and he is going to visit his wife, who is now living in a different city. She has um, moved up the corporate ladder and has a, a pretty prestigious high powered type of a career. And he goes to visit her at Christmas. Their marriage is in trouble. And um, he's going in the hopes that they will be uh, reunited and that their family will be repaired for really for Christmas. Um, And in the course of events, he goes to the corporate office and terrorists take over the office. And the entire night is pure chaos. And there's fighting for your life and lots of danger and that is the context of this whole on movie christmas is he eve, is right? on christmas eve so they are trying to survive and so yes this really is a christmas movie because it is set on december 24th. right it, it signals to christmas at multiple levels just in the context the kind of temporal setting um it's a christmas party on christmas eve um There's lots of little quips and lines that are built off of uh, 
Christmas signaling, right? Songs or ho, 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 or Merry Christmas or whatever. So so it's definitely contextualized in Christmas. But I think that the question for folks is, how can this be a Christmas movie if it is so violent, so um, so much terror, so much um, graphic kind of stuff. And, you know, this level of anxiety and aggression that just permeates the whole movie of like you're fighting for survival. And I think it's that question of, is that the Christmas spirit? Like, <laughs> like we like the reconciliation at the end. We like everything resolving. But to get there, you have to live through a night of terror, literally. Right. Right. It's not what you would typically think of as like the, the typical cartoons that we watch every Christmas, the, the animated films that come on every Christmas that are very specific about Santa and the sleigh and the gifts and things like that, or about the the nativity scene or the the birth of Jesus. That's not part of this type of movie. Right. But and it's not a it family. Is a genre. It's not like no. a family movie, right? No, Do not no, no. gather the children and sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> But one of the things as I was watching it with that question in mind of, is this a Christmas movie? What does it, how does it intersect with what we perceive as the Christmas spirit? It actually made me rethink uh, the Christmas narrative. Um, Because I do think we've kind of sanitized the original Christmas story, right? It's all... It has this kind of ring, this glow, this halo about it, right? It's very precious moments. <laughs> very, <laughs> um, we know the ending. Everything works out. It's this beautiful couple who um, Mary gives birth in the quaint manger and the child does not cry through the night. And then this motley crew of... <laughs> You know, it's like the ensemble cast, right? Right. Comes and worships at the manger. And we've so sanitized that, that we can feel like that sanitized version is what the Christmas spirit is. Um, But watching a movie like Die Hard that's set in context of Christmas, that juxtaposition actually made me stop and say, wait a minute, what if terror was actually more of an element in the Christmas story than we give it credit for. I think you're right there, that there are parallels that actually are evident if you look at it and what the reality is. Um, Just like how we talked about in the previous episode about how we turn to these Hallmark movies to give us some, like, a saccharine sweet element to life. I think that we've actually done the same thing with the the birth of Jesus and and what was that really like? Um, I think we tend to make that the stripped down version of reality because scripture is just giving us the the general outline of what happened. And we get hints of what's going on in terms of the the political landscape of the day, but we don't realize what was that like really for people to really be living in that time and what were they really feeling? Um, I don't know that we want it to be that real. Like it's a little bit easier to take the sanitized version. Right. I mean, we're talking about a time in history when your land was under uh, foreign rule, 
right? So you had soldiers in your towns, you know, around the country that basically watching and making you behave. Um, And even something that we consider as simple as pregnancy and giving birth at that time in history, um, you know, resulted in a lot of death. Like it was a a question of survival. Are you going to make it through this birth. Now today we're like, yes, because you have doctors and even if you aren't in the hospital, you can have all of this uh, support if anything goes wrong, you know? So for us, the idea of giving birth is not a life and death question, but in the past it would have been. So you have this kind of undercurrent of terror or survival. Am I going to make it through this birth? And what struck me as I was thinking about through the Christmas story with this kind of darker set of eyes on it was the fact that we end the Christmas narrative. uh, The scripture ends the Christmas narrative with um, Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt and Herod slaughtering innocents. We end it with this graphic, horrific night of terror. And I wonder, one of the questions that came to my mind as I was kind of watching the movie, thinking, is this a Christmas movie? Thinking through the Christmas story again is, I found it a little cathartic. I I found it like, yeah, actually, I need to be able to admit that there is this darkness in the world. I need to be able to say it is kind of this bad sometimes. Not that I've ever been caught in a terror situation, but those emotions of fear, of anxiety, of um, not sure how you're going to make it. But the question that I came away with is, as much as we want to get into a lighthearted, festive, celebratory Christmas spirit, do we lose something about the Christmas experience if we don't also have the darkness? I think so. Yes. There's there's that sense of your depth of experience um, being um, influenced by how much of the the truth that you know or the reality that you know. And I think that having a laser focus on only all that's good actually diminishes the richness of the enjoyment that you can get out of that uh, celebration. And it... In some ways, it pushes aside the the magnitude of what God did for us in sending Jesus as Messiah. So um, if, if we can just push aside everything that's negative, it's like, do we really need all that much saving? I don't know. Maybe it's not that bad. But when you recognize the depth of the need, I think then there's a greater depth of that joy and gratitude and wonder that God would come and rescue. So I think that these types of movies, or at least um, this genre of looking at things that aren't all good, um, aren't all right in the world, I think that it's needed to help us have a fuller sense of the Christmas spirit. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? 
Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Yeah, Aaron, what you're saying reminds me a lot of a piece that I'd read in the New York Times recently by uh, Tish Warren. I don't know if you saw it, um, but she was talking about the importance of Advent in preparation for the Christmas holidays, the joy that comes with it. And she was pretty much saying a similar thing to to what you're saying, that that grief and joy have to go together. Um, and in the... And in the piece, she talks about Advent being a particular time of um, cultivating that. Um, and let me read what she wrote. To practice Advent is it to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep wordless desire for things to be made right, and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness. Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but are also wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. Oh, that's powerful. So really, I think what we're getting at is that Die Hard may not be a Christmas movie. It may be an Advent movie. Mm, yeah, yeah. And and do we need to purposefully engage these things so that we get our mind wrapped around it? Um, it's so easy. I think it's so easy to be drawn toward um, let's make things lighthearted and festive, because that's so much of what you see in terms of what's being packaged out in the stores. If you go shopping, it's everything is bright and cheery and jingle bells um, to purposefully turn toward things that are not all right and perfect and good in the world. That's hard. That, that takes concerted effort, um, but we need it. We do need it. And um, I think that if our Christmas spirit, if we're looking at this question of what is the Christmas spirit, if that's going to be full, it needs both sides. It needs that grief and celebration. Yeah, and I think it's kind of maybe a little counterintuitive to how we would typically process these emotions. So I think our tendency would be, I'm feeling bad, so I'm going to go watch a happy movie so it, it will make me feel better. Or, um, and, and I think you see that kind of hoping to balance out whatever emotion you're feeling with forcing external festivity or external joy. And what's interesting, it, it kind of brings to mind this passage in James 5 that 
um, James is, you know, writing to the Christian, to the believers, and he says, is anyone suffering? He should pray. If is anyone cheerful, he should sing. And so his his kind of advice, if you want to call it that, to the Christians in, in kind of navigating their emotions is don't try to get rid of the emotion per se, right? There's a different response. You don't go sing happy songs to get rid of your suffering, right? You lean into it, you acknowledge it, you affirm it, you identify it, and then you you pray. You, you grieve with it. You You kind of wrestle with it. Are you happy? Are you in a season of joy? Well, then praise, then sing and, and let that joy come out of you rather than trying to control and manipulate the underlying emotion. It's more like give it an avenue for expression. I love that. And it is, um, in in some ways, I feel like it's sort of um, like elevating the the role that emotions play these gauges to show us how, how are we doing what's going on inside i also think though there's the sense of being purposeful and turning our eyes toward reality and um it's so easy to turn away from what's really going on in the world here we talked a little bit about what was really going on in the world when jesus was born um if you are in a if you were in a spot in that society where things were going well for you you didn't need to worry about that reign of terror um same thing for a lot of us in the united states there are ways where we can just turn away and we don't have to acknowledge the the way that terror is reigning in the lives of certain people and so i think it's still good even if you have that spirit of joy to also turn your eyes toward what is happening and not that you purposefully want to dampen the joy but i do think that you have to purposefully look and see what's going on for other people yeah and that reminds me i don't know if you saw this news story of that church that had set up their nativity scene oh i did see that as if um, Mary and Joseph and the baby were detained migrants in um, behind, you know, bars or within these fences, and they're all separated from each other. And I have to admit, um, at first, I had this very initial reaction of, oh, which was both, you're absolutely right. But I was really enjoying not thinking of that right now. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. it, it was so um, jarring, wasn't it, to see um, each of the, the three characters in their own separate caged off, fenced off areas and separate from each other. Because whenever you see a nativity, they're all together. And so you wouldn't expect them to be separated and to have fences between them. And so, yes, it was jarring. But I think that it is helpful for us to recognize that this is exactly why the Messiah came is because we have this sort of brokenness in the world. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, as we talked before, I'm not sure that it's such a stretch. Like, I know some folks would look at that and say, why are you imposing contemporary political questions on the nativity? And I also think, as we were talking before, maybe we've sanitized 
the actual story a little bit too much. Maybe there was more anxiety and terror underlying what we read. Um, and we need to maybe open our eyes to what else was going on in the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Hannah, as we've had this conversation, I feel um, a little bit affirmed that it's okay that right now I'm not feeling just oozing Christmas joy out of every pore of my being. I don't feel that yet. I'm going to say that it's um, Advent, that God is um, hovering over me in Advent sort of spirit. And I'm going to trust that by Christmas, I'm going to feel that sense of like, oh, this is Christmas and Christ has come and I'm going to put my my mind on that. So I think this has been helpful. Yeah. And the truth is, like we've mentioned already, that Christmas is not here yet. Like we really have not yet reached the point in the liturgical process where the Savior is here, where the Messiah is come. And even in the prep of knowing he's coming or the expectation um, that he's coming to deliver us, there is a ton that goes on in those final weeks before a child is born. And they are very hard weeks and they are very um their weeks full of anxiety and uncertainty and not knowing how this is all going to turn out. So yeah, I'm with you. I think there is definitely space for us to feel these kinds of emotions and to remember that they are just as human and just as much a part of this season as the ones we typically assign to the Christmas spirit. Well, we do hope that all of you listening have enjoyed this conversation and, and feel encouraged. We we will post the, the episode link for the first conversation in the series called A Hallmark Christmas. Catch that if you've not already done so. And we'd love to hear what you're thinking about it. As always, you can join us on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC. Or if you are a member of Christ and Pop Culture, you can join us in the members forum to discuss this episode and previous ones or whatever you feel like talking about. If you're not a member, you can become a member for a small donation of $5 a month that helps us support the work of this podcast and the others in the Christ and Pop Culture podcast network, as well as the good work that the writers and editors are doing um, at the site. We want to give a big shout out to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in our network. You can give them a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com or at iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. And while you're out online, if you share or uh, give us some ratings at iTunes, that will help more people to listen and to find us. Be sure to join us for the next installment of our series. It's the last one of our holiday mini series. Um, That one is called A Charlie Brown Christmas. So that conversation is being prepped and ready for you. And we look forward to talking with you again. We appreciate you listening to Persuasion and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.